Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. God willing, we'll finish this chapter today. Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 through 46. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Father, we praise you for Jesus. There truly is no one, there's no one like Jesus. He shuts their mouths. He answers all of their questions with ease and beauty and glory and power through the Word, but they can't answer one of His questions. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Him. We thank You that You have made us, that we have being. Lord, thank You that we have rational being. Thank You that we're living beings. Thank You that we have a Savior, that we're made in Your image, that we're being made in the image of Jesus. Father, how often do we take those things for granted that we exist? Have we ever thanked You that we exist? That we even exist? Father, so many ways we take things for granted that You've given us. And we ask that You would forgive us. We pray that You would fill us with Your Spirit right now, that we would hear from You, from Your Word. God, that we would be changed, that we would not only be hearers of the Word, but we would be doers of the Word. And so speak to us, Holy Spirit, and help us. We need You. Help us see Christ as He is. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Last Sunday, we saw the next round of confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Uh, we, we've seen over the past few weeks, they keep trying to stump Jesus. They send people to ask Him questions, to try and uh, catch Him in His words, to make Him say something that will get Him in trouble, that will get Him killed, get Him uh, uh, in trouble with the people. They keep trying to test and tempt Jesus, just like Satan did when the Spirit led Jesus out in the wilderness before He began His public ministry. They ask Him, uh, about the, they asked him last week about the greatest commandment in the law. And remember, this is the week of Jesus' uh, death. This is the last week of Jesus' life. We saw the triumphal entry in chapter 21 where he came into the Jerusalem. We, we, and we see now the attack against him by his enemies is intensifying. They ask him about taxes, they ask him about the resurrection. 
They ask him about the law last week. What's the greatest commandment in the law? And, and he answers and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And last week, the thrust of the, the sermon was with God's help. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This is everything. Well, today, Jesus goes on the offensive. He asks the Pharisees a question concerning the deep reality of who He really is. Jesus is God. Jesus is God's Son. And no one could answer Him when He asked this question. And after this, no one dares to ask Him any more questions. And beloved, we see today Jesus wins this confrontation battle with the Jewish religious leaders once and for all. All He does is win. And the thrust of today's sermon is this. By the mercy of God, trust, obey, and delight in Jesus Christ, the Son of David, as your Lord and your God. By the mercy of God, trust, obey, and delight in Jesus Christ, the Son of David, as your Lord and your God. Point number one. Now Jesus does the questioning. Look again at verses 41 and 42. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Remember the Pharisees are the Jewish religious leaders. They're the ones who are thought of by the people as being the righteous ones, the ones knowing and teaching the Bible. Uh, and we've seen them come after Jesus time and time again, and now he's asking them a question. And beloved, this jumps out at me that Jesus is the God of Job. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, just, I just sense Job here. wonder why I do, because Job got asked questions by God, and now Jesus is asking the questions. You remember the book of Job? Job loses everything. He loses all of his children, all of them dead. He loses his crops and his wealth. He loses his health. And then we have all these people that try to come and comfort Job uh, with, in many cases, good theology, theology wrongly applied. And, and Job is is a godly, blameless man, and yet still Job is a sinner. And at the end of the book, God's had enough. He, he's had enough of Job's complaints. He's had enough of this bad theology or this good theology wrongly applied. And, and God now asks some questions. Job 38, 1 through 5. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. <laughs> Gird up thine loins. <laughs> Put your cup on, Job. Man up, Job. Dress for action like a man. I will question you. And you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, 
if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? And on and on God goes. Where were you when I made everything and sustained everything and uphold everything by the word of my power? Where were you, Job? Were you there? You know better than me? were, Were you there when I created everything? God does the questioning. Jesus reminds me here that that he's the God of Job. Job was a blameless man, Job 1.1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. And yet, when God finishes questioning Job, Job says in Job 42.5-6, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job was a blameless, godly man who feared God, but he says, I've heard of you, but now I see you. Beloved, I wonder what we'll have to go through in life. What we'll have to go through in life that we not only hear about God and Jesus, but that we will see Him. Have you seen Him? Job is a blameless man. Job starts out as a godly, is a godly man. The book starts out telling us that. Uh, and yet, he's a sinner. These people that Jesus is talking with, they're not blameless. <laughs> they're not like Job. They don't fear God. They think they do. And Jesus questions them. Jesus does the questioning here. And his question is, what think ye of Christ? What think ye of Christ? And I, I just want to begin here, uh, friend, by asking you, if you're here this morning, what, what do you think of Christ? If you're here this morning and not a believer, what, what do you think of Christ? Because just like the Pharisees and just like Job, we're all sinners. The the Bible teaches that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, We have not thought about Christ as we should. We have questioned Him. We have been curious about His identity. We have ask if he's really who he says he is we we have not given him our full trust and submission we've asked why i, I would again encourage you to come to sunday school to hear uh, uh brother anthony teach uh because i was so moved this morning about the the the, 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 the ways in which we we question god as little pipsqueak human being ants who have no right to question god And we deserve God's wrath and judgment because we question Him. We question His ways. We question His providences. We question what He's doing. We we fail to fully trust and love and serve and uh, submit to His will. And the Bible teaches all of us have done this. We've all sinned. And because of this, we deserve hell. We deserve God's judgment in hell. But what think ye of Christ? God loves these wicked sinners. God loves us. God loves those who have sinned against Him and broken His commands. And so He sent His Son, Jesus, the Christ, 
into the world to live a perfect life, who never sinned, who never questioned God, who always trusted Him perfectly, and, and He died on a Roman cross between two thieves and uh, was buried and bore the wrath of God. And then He rose from the, uh, from the dead uh, on the third day so that all who repent and believe in Him might be saved. Friend, this is the Gospel. If you've not believed this Gospel, we want you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved that you would think rightly about the Christ. Have you done that? Have you trusted Him? This is something you can't work for. You can't earn it. You can't do enough to make God love you or forgive you. You can simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in Him and He will save you. This is the good news. If you've not believed that good news, come and talk to me afterwards. There are other Christians here who would love to speak with you, but we want you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Jesus does the questioning. Jesus is the God of Job. And His question is, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is He? Beloved, this is the main question of life. This is the most important question you could ever answer. Young people, young people, this is, this is more important than, than anything in the world. What think ye of Christ? What do you think of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's, it's not about taxes. It's not about the, the law. It, 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 it's not about all the things these Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes were interested in. This is the main thing. What think ye of Christ? Well, what does Christ mean? <laughs> what does Christ mean? Do you know what Christ means? If I ask you, what does Christ mean? What would you say? If you say, well, it's Jesus' last name, that is incorrect. <laughs> Irenaeus, a bishop in the early church in the 180s A.D., wrote this, Christ means anointed, implying an anointer, an anointed one, and an anointing. The Father anoints, the Son is anointed, the Spirit is the anointing. As the Word says to Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Isaiah 61.1 This shows the anointing Father, the anointed Son, and the anointing itself, the Spirit. And so in the Old Covenant, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed. Anointed with oil to set them apart for the task God has called them to do and Jesus is our prophet, priest and king like no one else. That's what Christ means. He is the anointed one. He is the prophet, priest and king. That's my king. This sermon will be a wonderful one to end with that's my king. Do you know him? I love the question of the Westminster Larger Catechism 42, why was our mediator the one who brings us to God, called Christ. Answer, our mediator was called Christ because He was anointed with the Holy Ghost above measure and so set apart and fully furnished with all authority and ability to execute the offices of prophet, priest, and king of His church in the estate both of His humiliation and exaltation. So that's what Christ means. He's the anointed one. 
He is the Messiah. He is the Christ, the Savior. He, he is our prophet, priest, and king. And Jesus asked, what think ye of Christ? Beloved, do you think about Christ? Friend, do you think about Christ? What do you think about Him? How often do you think about Him? What comes into your mind when you think about Him? As A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about you is what enters your mind when you think about God. Charles Spurgeon preached this, What do you think of Christ? It is, a is it a pleasure for you to think of Christ? Do you so love Him? Is He so attractive in your esteem that you delight to think of Him? Do you frequently think of Christ just as you often think of those you love? And do you naturally think of Christ just as we naturally think of food without being reminded of it, seeing we have to live upon it, and therefore inward appetite renders impossible to forget? Have you a passion for Christ? Is your nature so changed that Christ has become your friend and therefore you delight in Him? He's become your food and therefore you inevitably long for Him and must do so because of the new appetites and cravings within your nature. Do you think of Christ joyfully? Can you say in the heavenly Lamb, thrice happy I am and my heart it does leap at the sound of His name? Do you think of Christ desiring still nearer access and a clearer way view of Him, a clearer view of Him, sighting out with sacred lovesickness, saying, oh, that I were with Him where He is, or that He were with me where I am? Do you think of Him with admiration, wondering at the altogether lovely one? Do you think of Him with an ardent wish to be conformed to His image, saying, gracious Savior, make me like Yourself? Do you think of Him with practical love so that You help His cause? Help His poor people, proclaim His truth, aid His church, and pity sinners for whom He shed His blood? Do you so think of Christ as to speak well of Him and commend Him to the love of mankind? Do thoughts of Jesus keep you back from sin and incite you to continue in the paths of holiness for His namesake? Do you so think of Christ that you pray to Him, that you give to Him, that you work for Him? What do you think of Christ? Is He worthy of your actual practical diligent service? Or is it to be all talk and idle chat and broken resolutions and vain professions? What think ye of Christ? Oh, beloved, may our esteem and thoughts of Christ grow. That's the desire of the believer. And by the mercy of God, trust, obey, and delight in Jesus Christ, the Son of David, as your Lord and as your God. Point number two. Jesus is the Son of David. So Jesus asked this question, What think ye of Christ? Whose Son is He? And verse 42, they answer. They said to Him, The Son of David. That's correct. But it ain't all. <laughs> Jesus was and is the Son of David. In 2 Samuel 7, God tells David that his offspring will reign forever. He will have an everlasting kingdom. In Jeremiah 23, 5-6, we read, I will raise up for David a righteous branch, 
And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Jesus is from the line and heritage and lineage of David. He is the Davidic king. And we've seen this all over the place in Matthew's gospel as we've gone through it, right? Matthew 1.1, the very beginning, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew 9.27, two blind men following, followed him crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. Matthew 12.23, and all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? Matthew 15, 22, a Canaanite woman, the Syrophoenician woman, came from that region and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord. O Lord, she gets it. She got it. Son of David. Matthew 20, 30-31, and behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And Matthew 21, 9, at his triumphal entry, the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna, save us to the son of David. And a little foreshadowing of where we're going here, Romans 1, 1 through 4, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. Notice the, the, the religious leaders in our passages, they miss that, his son. He's not only David's son, he's God's son. They miss that. His son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power. He's always been the Son of God. But in His resurrection, declared to be the Son of God in power. He came in humility, meek and lowly, riding on a donkey. But He rose from the dead. He ain't a baby in a manger anymore. And He's not going to be riding a donkey when He comes back. He's going to be on a white war horse with fire coming out of His eyes and a double-edged sword coming out of His mouth. You love that? Yes. You love that image of Jesus? Or you just love him on the donkey? He's coming back as a warrior. And you want to recognize him. You want to love that. If you don't love that, you need to repent. And you need to ask what's going on in my heart that I like Jesus meek and lowly, but I don't like him with fire and sword coming out of his mouth. You got to love the whole Christ. He's declared to be the Son of God in power. According to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yes. That's sort of where we're going. I'm giving you the end of the sermon at the beginning. <laughs> Paul confesses in Romans 9, 5, the Christ who is God over all. He's the son of David according to the flesh. And this is a right answer. It's just not enough. But it does teach us that Jesus was, is a man. You know, he's still a man. Did you know that? He still has a human body forever. That, that's one of the amazing 
realities of the incarnation that, 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 that the human nature was joined to the divine nature in one person forever. And he has those scars on his hands forever, reminding us of what he did for us. He's a man. Jesus was the son, is the son of David, a real human being with a body of a man just like us. Jesus was truly man. He was truly human. He bled. He died. He got tired. He cried. He rejoiced. He ate food. He slept. He went to the bathroom. Jesus was a real man. He was a man. He had flesh and blood. He took on human flesh. Jesus had to be truly man because man has sinned. He had to be a man to be a substitute for us. He had to be a man to represent us as the, the, uh, the last Adam. He had to be a man to come and obey God's law as a man. Jesus didn't tap into His divinity to obey the law of God. He obeyed the law of God as a human being by the power of the Holy Ghost. And He had to do that to save us from our sins. He obeyed the law of God as a man. He had to be a man to take our sins upon Himself. He had to be a man so He could die for us. And He had to be a man so that we might be saved. But He also had to be God because we owe God an infinite payment. We owe God an infinite payment, and the only way that infinite payment could be, could be made in a finite amount of time when those hours on the cross is if the God-man is the infinite God-man. He's both God and man. And so their answer teaches us the reality that Jesus is a man. We don't have to run from that when people say, well, Jesus was a man. Yes, He was. Amen. Amen. He is the son of David. But he's more than that. By the mercy of God, trust, obey, and delight in Jesus Christ, the son of David, as your Lord and your God. Point number three, the glorious truth of Psalm 110. The glorious truth of Psalm 110. Look at verses 43 through 45. So he he gets his answer. He's the son of David. And now Jesus goes on. He says to them, he said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Beloved, notice a few things before we get into the thick of this question. Jesus loves and teaches God's Word. I, I just want you to see that, that the incarnate Word... The, the living Word, Jesus Christ, loves, quotes, goes back to over and over and over again, the written Word. The Bible. He loves the book. Jesus loves... The, Jesus wrote the book. <laughs> you want a love letter from Jesus? Read the book. Notice this. We love the book because Jesus loved the book and Jesus wrote the book. And Jesus always is pointing us back to the book. That's why. Because we love Jesus. So we got to take Jesus' view of the book. 
if we love Jesus. Jesus loves and teaches God's Word. Jesus teaches us that God's Word is written by men and inspired by God's Spirit. Did you notice that in verse 43? Jesus says, how is it then that David, a man, in the Spirit, in the Holy Ghost, in the Spirit, uh, 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 calls Him Lord, saying, and then quotes Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is written by David. No matter what critics say, I'm going to go with Jesus. Davidic authorship of Psalm 110. David is a man inspired by the Holy Ghost to write Psalm 110. That's how Jesus views the Bible. If we don't view the Bible that way, we need to change our view to the way Jesus views the Bible. So Jesus teaches us that God's Word is written by men, inspired by God's Spirit, and Jesus, notice, is again quoting God's Word. Beloved, have you noticed that in all of the, these confrontations, I mean, the confrontation with the devil, right? When the devil comes to Jesus and tempts him, every time it is written, it is written, it is written, Jesus goes back to the written Word of God. Even though He is God and He inspired Deuteronomy, He quotes it. He goes back to the written Word. What about when he's asked about taxes by these new uh, 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 Satan tempters? He's asked about taxes. What does he do? He alludes to God's Word. Whose image? He goes back to the image of God from Genesis 1. When he's asked about the resurrection, what does he do? He goes back to God's Word. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. He goes back to the Word of God. When he's asked about the greatest commandment in the law, what does he do? He goes back to God's Word in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he's questioned, his question here is about God's Word. Psalm 110. Word, 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 Word. We've got to take Jesus' word, view of the word, as our own. 2 Peter 1.21 For no prophecy, for no prophecy, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Charles Spurgeon said, Be a walking Bible. Jesus was a walking Bible. Jesus was a walking Bible. It said of John Bunyan, if you pricked him, he would bleed Bibline. Beloved, Jesus was this like no one else. We should view God's written word the same way God incarnate, God's incarnate word views God's written word. Jesus asks a second question here based on Psalm 110. Let's hear it again, verses 43 through 45. He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Beloved, another point here that's sort of periphery, the Psalms fill the New Testament. The Psalms fill the New Testament. There's this, you know, when, I, when somebody asks me, what's your favorite book? Well, the Bible. 
What are your favorite Bible books? Psalms, Gospel, and Romans. That's my answer. People ask me that. What's your favorite book? The Bible. What are your favorite books of the Bible? Psalms, Gospels, and Romans. Psalms. The Psalms fill the New Testament. Chad Bird, a Lutheran scholar, writes, which Old Testament book is quoted more in the New Testament than any other? Psalms. Which Old Testament verse and chapter is quoted more in the New Testament than any other? Psalm 110.1, the one Jesus quotes. The chapter is quoted about 33 times in the New Testament. All but 22 of the 150 Psalms are quoted or alluded to in the New Testament. Thus, 85% of the Psalms are in the New Testament. The Gospels comment on all the major events in Christ's life via the Psalms. Which Old Testament book did Jesus quote when He was being crucified? The Psalms. Why are the Psalms the heart of Scripture? Because as Martin Franzman said, theology is doxology. Theology, meaning the study of God, is doxology, worshiping God, giving God glory. Theology must sing. Theology must sing. This is why, this is how John Piper figured out he shouldn't be a professor in a college anymore, but he needed to be a pastor because he was doing a devotion in class and, 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 and without being announced, without somebody saying, now let's sing, the whole class just broke out and started praising God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. They just started singing because God moved them by His Word being taught to sing. And Piper said, I, I have to stop dissecting and analyzing this God and proclaim this God. Theology must sing. It cannot remain mute words inside a book, but it leaps off the printed page, ex exits the mouth, and fills the air with holy sound. In the Psalms, we sing with Jesus, and Jesus sings with us. In a hymn to the Father through the Spirit, amidst a choir of saints and angels, here are God's words to us that become our words back to God. The Psalms are verbal tears for the suffering, a steady hand to the wavering, a beating heart for the dying. No other biblical book was on the lips of Jesus as He was about to die. Let them ever be on our lips as well. For they are the songs of heaven and earth. The Psalms fill the New Testament, beloved, as we see here in our text today. And the Psalms are about Jesus. The Psalms are about Jesus. Even when the psalmist confesses his sins. Some people, what, what, what is going on in here? The psalmist confesses his sins. can't be about Jesus because Jesus had no sin. Well, you're right that Jesus didn't have no sin. But like the high priest who would bear the sins of the people and confess them over the animal, yeah. Jesus, our high priest who was sinless, confesses our sins yeah. and is punished for our sins. Just like he didn't need to be baptized, but he, when he went into those waters of Jordan that, that, that were filled symbolically with the sins of Israel, Jesus goes down in those sin-infested waters and bears the sin of his people. All the Psalms are about Christ. And Jesus says this, Jesus says this. I read a book. In, in modern scholarship, people are more writing about how the Psalms are all about Jesus. And it's this modern thing that people just come up with right now. Jesus told us this. <laughs> the Psalms are about Jesus. Luke 24, 44. 
Jesus said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And beloved, we see in this particular Psalm, Jesus is not only David's son, but he's God's son. Jesus is God. Let's think about Psalm 110.1 and Jesus' argument here. A Psalm of David. I'm going to read it from, from the Old Testament. Psalm 110.1. A Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. One, one objection I, I, I just want to cover briefly so that if you hear this, you'll know it. Um, there is an objection from, from our Jewish friends who do not accept Jesus as the Messiah. They do not accept Jesus as God. Uh, they object to the way many Christians use Psalm 110.1 because they, they note that if you look at the Hebrew text, um, it, it, when it says, my Lord, and that's Yahweh, that's Jehovah, says to my Lord, Adon, it's Adoni, not Adonai. And then they'll say, Every place in the Hebrew Bible Adoni is used, it's of a human being. So like my Lord Abraham, my servant David, it, you know, it, so, and then they'll say, see, this, this text actually proves that Jesus is not God, he's a human being. Well, what would you, what, how do you answer that? Well, first you say, well, Jesus was, if, if you're, even if you're right, it's true, Jesus was a human being. Because we believe Jesus is a man. We believe that. We believe Jesus was a man. So you haven't disproved anything. That's one thing. Uh, Jesus was a man. The second thing you need to say is, the the difference between Adonai and Adonai is a difference in vowel pointing of the Hebrew text, which was not there when Jesus was alive in in his flesh before he ascended into heaven. That was added, that that vowel pointing that is the difference between Adonai and Adonai came some uh, 900 years later by Jewish scholars called Masoretes. That comes from the word Masera, which is the bond of the covenant spoken of in Ezekiel 20, 37, for example. Um, So that was added later, and so that is an interpretation of these Jewish scholars who obviously denied the deity of Christ. So certainly they would point it, the vowels, that way. So it's Adonai and not Adonai. That shows their theology that they denied Jesus as the Messiah and they denied Jesus as God. But all that was there when Jesus spoke this passage was Adon, without the vowels. So that's another thing you should know. Another thing you should know that Anthony Butler, we were talking about this yesterday, and he looked it up for me. Uh, uh... Adonai actually is used twice of God Almighty. In, uh, this is where I wrote this in my Bible, uh, in Psalm 110, so I would always know it. Uh, Adonai is used for Yahweh in Joshua 5.14 and Judges 6.13. So that's just a little apologetic information. If you meet that argument, you know it. If you go online and, and Google James White, Psalm 110, you can watch the video all about it and get more information or ask me and I, we can talk about it more. I just wanted to answer that objection. I think, Anthony, you're also right. Jesus here quotes the Septuagint, which is curios. And so uh, 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 it's even more clear uh, from the way Jesus quotes it. So let, let's get into the text proper then. So David says, the Lord, Yahweh, 
capital L-O-R-D, when you see that in your Old Testament, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, uh, uh, that, that is signifying the covenant name of God, Yahweh, says to my Lord, well, who is David calling my Lord? This is the, this is the crux of, of Jesus' question to these uh, Pharisees. Fathers don't call their sons Lord. I mean, even more so in that culture. In our culture, we've lost some of the reverence for the elderly. D.A. Carson was talking about this, how when he gets invited to some place in America, some places won't invite him because he's 60, and people, you know, young people, especially at college, they want some hip, cool dude that can relate to them, and, and so he get, doesn't get invited because he's old. And in America, we have this view of elderly people with, which devalues and disrespects them. But when he goes to China, they won't invite him until he turns 60 because they want somebody that actually knows what they're talking about. <laughs> and they respect the elderly, take care of the elderly, right? Well, that was more their culture. So, so to have a son call a father, Lord, no. That, that, that's the issue here. How, how does, if he's David's son, how can he call him Lord? How can the son be greater than the father? That, that, that's the issue. Jesus is David's son, but he's more than David's son. That's what Jesus is, is getting across here. But they don't like that. They're not going to answer that. They're not going to say anything like that. They're not even going to acknowledge that Jesus is David's son. Jesus is more than David's son. He's David's Lord. And He's Lord of all. Jesus is God. In the context of this psalm, David's Lord, notice what David's Lord does. You, you might want to have your finger in Psalm 110 so you can see the rest of the psalm as well in Psalm 22 as we look at this in the Bible. But, but, but Psalm 10, uh, David's Lord, even in what Jesus quotes, sits at God's right hand. Verse 1, sits at God's right hand. Who sits at God's right hand? The God-man Jesus Christ. He is a priest Forever, in verse 4. Who's a priest forever? He's got to be God. He's got to be God. In verse 5, Kidner notes, Now the Lord, Yahweh, and His King, Lord, act as one. In verse 5. So the context of this psalm shows us that this Lord and King is divine. And notice the text says, He will put all your enemies under feet. Your feet. There's a heel on your feet. We were, I was asking the question a few Wednesdays ago, it was maybe last Wednesday, and I asked, uh, I asked the question, where is the first gospel in the Bible? And a 16-year-old, 17-year-old gave me the answer. Genesis 3.15. You should all know this. You should all know this. Where's the first gospel in the Bible? Genesis 3.15. And then I ask, what's it called by theologians? Felicity, could you tell me again real loud? Proto-euangelion. 17 years old. We should know that. We should know that. Proto-euangelion. Proto-first. 
Evangelion gospel. It's the first gospel. And it says, it says, Genesis 3.15 says uh, that uh, God is, God is, is cursing the, the serpent. And he tells the serpent, the seed uh, of the woman and the seed, your seed will be at enmity with one another. And, and the woman's seed will crush the head of the serpent. And the serpent will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. This is Jesus. This is the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15 that we see in this passage. Jesus will do this. He is the Son of David. He is the God-man who will do this. Sinclair Ferguson writes, David's son could only be his Lord if he existed before him and after him. This David's son created David. This David's son created David and all his other sons. All the kings of Israel, Jesus created by the word of his power. This is who Jesus is. And beloved, notice this. Uh, uh, Anthony pointed this out as well, I think very, very helpfully. Jesus quoted the Shema Right? That, 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 that confession of Israel that they said every day, Shema hear, the Hebrew word hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. Jesus quoted that in his last confrontation, right? There's one Lord, and you love that Lord with all your heart, and mind, and soul. Jesus is saying here, He's that Lord. <laughs> he is that Lord. He is that Lord that we are to love. He is the one Lord. He is Lord and God. He's Yahweh come in the flesh. So who is the Lord of King David? No man. David is the king. There's no mere man greater than him, but there is a God-man, Messiah, Savior, Anointed One, Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is greater than King David. Jesus is God, and Jesus is not only David's son, He's God's son. That's what they missed out on. He's God's son. Right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Beloved, this is one of the reasons they wanted to kill Jesus, because He made Himself out to be the Son of God. John 5.18, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him. Because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but He was even calling God His own Father, making Himself equal with God. Beloved, I want, you, I want you to see this in the New Testament because the New Testament shows us that this is the right interpretation of John 1, uh, uh, Psalm 110.1. Turn to the book of Hebrews. Turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, look with me first at verse 13 because the, the, the author quotes directly from where Jesus is quoting, Psalm 110. Hebrews 1, 13, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. You see that? 
That's, that's Psalm 110. Now, what all does, in, in Hebrews 1, there's this, this, this repetition of who is the Son? Who is the Son? Who is the Son? He's like this. He's like this. He's better than angels. He's God. And so begin, begin reading with me in verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. God's Son. He's not only the Son of David, He's God's Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He created David. (laughs) He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He's God. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Just like Brother Anthony was saying this morning, as the the soldiers were spitting on Jesus and slapping Jesus, Jesus was uh, upholding their their throat and tongue that spit and upholding the hand that slapped. Jesus was holding that with the word of his power. And if he wanted to, he could have just destroyed them. Poof! That's my king. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down. This is Psalm 110. He sat down to the right hand of the majesty on high. There you have it. There's an allusion to it. And then verse 6. Let all God's angels worship Him. You're supposed to only worship God. But God's Word says angels worship Jesus. Verse 8. But of the Son, He says, and He's quoting Psalm 45 here. But He says this to the Son. Your throne, O God. God says Jesus is God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And then verse 13, we have Psalm 110 quoted explicitly. And to which of the angels did he ever, has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Beloved, the New Testament gives us the right interpretation of Psalm 110. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Son of David. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. This psalm is quoted all over the New Testament. Acts 5.31 God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance and to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Romans 8.34 Christ who's at the right hand of God, intercedes for us. Hebrews 10.11, every priest stands daily, offered, offering repeatedly, but Christ sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 10.13, to wait until His enemies should be made a stool for His feet. Yeah. Philip Ryken writes, the one whom David calls his Lord will receive the kingdom. He will sit at the right hand of God until every last one of his enemies is defeated. The right hand of God represents God's own rule and authority. To be exalted is to sit in that awesome place, to reign in glory and to share in the royal majesty of God. Mm. Beloved, this is the answer these these Pharisees should have given and bowed down and worshipped. They should have gotten this. But they missed it. Some implications... Of, of what we've studied. N- num- number one, Jesus is both God and man. Jesus is both God and man. This is that word I like to teach the children. Hypostatic union. Amen. Hypostatic union. There are ten-year-olds in this church I can ask and they'll tell me what that means. Do you know? 
the joining of the human and divine natures in one person, even Jesus Christ our Lord. It's simple. I love using big words if you tell me what they mean. I almost asked you this morning, Anthony, are, are, are classical locusts really, they taste good? Is that what John the Baptist had? <laughs> Locus classicus. Hypostatic union. The joining of the human and divine natures in one person, Jesus Christ. This, this is what this teaches us. Jesus is both God, David's Lord, and He's David's Son. He's the God-man. He's fully God, truly God, and truly man in one person. We also see the Trinity here. We, we see a dialogue between the Father and the Son. The Lord said to my Lord. This would, would point us away from Geno Jennings' theology and T.D. Jake's theology who deny the distinctness of the three persons of the Godhead. They have a dialogue that we see in the Old Testament. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We also see here, beloved, that Jesus is risen from the dead. And Jesus ascends to heaven and sits down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and He has all authority given to Him in heaven and on earth, and He's ruling and reigning right now. <laughs> right now, He's ruling and reigning. Right now, He's putting all enemies under His feet, and He's going to keep doing that until the final day when all enemies will be put under His feet. There's the already, not yet, right? So He's reigning, and He's going to reign and conquer every enemy. And... Again, we see he's the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, the first gospel, the proto-euangelion, the first gospel, where we're told he, Jesus, shall bruise your Satan head and you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. We see all of this in our passage today and, and this should encourage us as believers that Jesus is Lord. He, he's Lord of your life. Everything that's ever happened in your life is, is, is orchestrated, controlled by a loving, good, and sovereign God. I mean, be encouraged by this, that Jesus is Lord. He is King. He's sovereign. And every detail of your life, from the numbers of heads, of, uh, hairs on your head, to, to the biggest events in your life, to the smallest events in your life, they're sovereignly orchestrated by our Lord and God. In love for your good, for your everlasting good, for your everlasting good. And, and, and He's Lord, we should also submit to Him. We should submit to Him and obey Him and do what He says. I, Anthony, thank you this morning. Again, if you can make it, if you can, if you can get up one extra hour earlier, you are missing a feast at 9.30 to 10.15 at, at, at Anthony's class. Where I, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever thought about this, how, how, how we, 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 we the, the distance, the distance between a, someone who's not created and, and someone who's created is, is infinite distance and God has allowed us to be created. Do you, have you ever thought, thanked God that you were created? And then not only are we created, but, 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 but we're living. We're, we're not just uh, uh, created as a, 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 a pulpit. We're, we're living beings. And not only are we living beings like, like plants and animals, 
We're, we're rational living beings. Have you ever th- thanked God that I'm created and, and, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a living being and I'm a rational being? What, what an amazing gift. And not only am I a rational being, I'm made in God's image. I'm made in God's image as the crown of his creation, Psalm 8. And not only that, but as believers, he's sent his son to die for me and rise for me and save me from my sin and make me more in the image of Jesus. What a set. Hallelujah. I wanted to sing. I wanted to sing, Anthony. Uh, uh, You know you're preaching well when people stop taking notes and start singing. That's the goal. That, that's the goal, to, to sing. And, and Anthony moved, moved us to sing this, this morning. Praise God for what he's done for us. We, we want to obey him. That's why we should obey him. Uh, and many other reasons. Beloved, I, I want to, you also to see that this psalm is an encouragement to Jesus Christ. This Psalm 110 uh, is an encouragement to Jesus Christ. Remember, this is the, the week of Jesus' life right before he's going to die. And this psalm is on his lips. And I love what David Mathis writes about this. When John the Baptist came from the wilderness, Psalm 110 was among the greatest riddles in Scripture. And yet it became the single most quoted Old Testament chapter in the New Testament. Of all the 929 chapters in the Old Testament, this chapter is cited most. Of all the 23,145 verses in the Old Testament, this is the verse quoted most often. It all began here on the Tuesday before Jesus died when Jesus Himself planted His foot on ground so holy and high that no one else dared trod there. On the other side of the grave, his apostles would follow their pioneer and unleash David's greatest oracle. Peter preached Psalm 110 at Pentecost, Acts 2, 33-36, and before the high priest, Acts 5, 31. Stephen's last words echoed Psalm 110, Acts 7, 55 and 56. Paul stepped onto that same holy ground, Romans 8, 34, Ephesians 1, 20, Colossians 3, 1. And what do we say of Hebrews? which has Psalm 110 at its very heart and referenced eight times. The great riddle of David's prophecy gave way to one of the new covenant's great revelations. We might even summarize the message of the New Testament like this. Psalm 110 has come true. Jesus is not only of David's line, but also his Lord, now seated at the Father's right hand. But before the great oracle fed the faith of the church, these words nourished the faith of Jesus Himself. And then He lists nine promises for Jesus. When He spoke this in Matthew 22, before He died, God is saying to His Lord that He sent to die. Verse 1, I will both defeat your enemies and put them under your feet for your everlasting joy. Verse 3, I will work in your people's hearts to follow you gladly, not begrudgingly. Verse 3, I will refresh you continually, not leave you languishing. Verse 4, I am God and will not change my mind. Verse 5, I will defeat leaders who oppose you. Verse 6, I will repay unbelievers who threaten you. Verse 6, I will destroy those who mean harm against you. Verse 7, I will give you all you need to endure. Verse 7, I will preserve you in what is coming upon you. 
Beloved, by the mercy of God, trust, obey, and delight in Jesus Christ, the Son of David, as your Lord and your God. And last point, point number four. No one can answer Jesus. No one can answer Jesus. Look at verse 46. How do they respond? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Beloved, just notice the Jewish religious leaders missed this. They missed what we're talking about today. They're unwilling to confess that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is both human and divine. They, they don't want to talk about that. They would not confess that Jesus is both David's son and God's son. They don't know what to say. They have no comeback. They have no answers. And sadly, they do not submit to Jesus as Lord and God. Beloved, the most basic confession of a follower of Jesus is Jesus is Lord. Sometimes we get testimonies as we bring people into membership and they go something like this. Well, when I was five years old, I went to church and I accepted Jesus as my Savior. But then I lived like the devil and a heathen and didn't obey Him at all. But in college, I actually got witness to and I, I, I accepted Him then as Lord. And so I accepted Him as Savior in fi- when I was five. And then I really started following Him as Lord later when I was 25. When I hear that, I don't say it out loud, but I'm like, they really got saved in college. <laughs> They did not know Jesus when they were five. Because, beloved, when you know, when you get to know, you can't cut Jesus up into Savior and Lord. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. You, 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 the most basic confession is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And so if you accept him as Savior but live your own way, you don't know him. Maybe that's you here today. You think Jesus is your Savior, but you're not ready to make him Lord and obey him. You don't know him as Savior either. You must repent and believe the gospel. And the fruit, uh, the the evidence that you've truly submitted to Him as as Lord and God is that you seek to obey Him, not perfectly, but you strive to follow His teachings. Because you've been born again. You have the fruit of the Spirit and you live it out. You've trusted Him. And so you evidence that by changed life. The most basic confession of a follower of Jesus is Jesus is Lord. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Remember doubting Thomas, right? He wouldn't believe until he saw and felt and touched. Well, he got that opportunity. Jesus was merciful to him. John 20, 27 and 28. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand in the place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Isaiah 45, 18 through 20 and 21 through 23. Isaiah 45, 18 and 21 through 23. I am the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. I am Jehovah. I am Yahweh. And there is no other. And there is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn for my mouth has gone out in righteousness. A word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall swear allegiance. Have you heard that before somewhere else? Beloved, there was one Jewish religious leader who did bow 
the King Jesus and confess Him as Lord, the Apostle Paul. And he writes in Philippians 2, 7-11, and being found in human form. And he quotes from Isaiah 45, where Jehovah God, Yahweh says, there's no God but me, and to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. He quotes this verse about Jesus. Philippians 2, 7-11, And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient at the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is that name above every name? What is that name above every name? I hear Jesus and I hear Lord. And if you know me, you know what I'm going to answer. <laughs> you see, when you get into the scholars on this, some say it's Jesus, some say it's Lord. They write all their 50 million lines on it. I'm just like, it's both, brothers. Amen. It's both. I like Moses Silva. Moises Silva. In D.A. Carson and G.K. Bill's commentary and how the uh, 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 New Testament uses the old, Mo- Moises Silva writes this, and I could kiss him. What is the name that Jesus received, Lord or Jesus? H.G.C. Mole gives us a satisfactory answer. Because of the incarnation, the human name Jesus is acclaimed as the highest name. And the man Jesus thus comes to be acclaimed as Lord to the glory of God the Father. What would I answer? Lord Jesus is the name above all names. Beloved, Jesus means Yahweh saves. Woo! Jesus is Lord. And because He's Lord, He's worthy of all of our love, devotion, allegiance, and delight. And Paul wrote of this in Philippians 3, 7-8. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as dung, scubalon, in order that I may gain Christ. Everything is scubalon compared to Jesus. Ligon Duncan writes, Saul believed on Jesus the Messiah and it cost him everything. It cost him his family. It cost him his career. It cost him his reputation. It cost him his relationships with friends. It cost him everything. There was nothing left of Saul when Jesus had gotten finished. But Saul lost nothing. And in fact, he gained everything. And I want you to know that that Pharisee understood what it meant. That David's son was also David's Lord. There are people in this room today who understand that. There has come a time in your life when God has taken away everything but He's given them Jesus. And Jesus is so much bigger than the everything that He took away that they count the everything rubbish for the surpassing greatness of the knowledge of the love of God in Christ. I want to tell you today that the most important thing, no matter where you are, no matter what you are going through right now, the most important thing in life is that you know Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Son of God. And losing everything, you'll gain more. And so, beloved, let's end our time today by looking unto Jesus, who is our everything. Jesus lost everything for us. Jesus was not treated 
as David's son or David's Lord on that cross. Beloved, turn with me to Psalm 110. I just want to read through this psalm with you and I want to read through it with you thinking about what Jesus suffered on the cross. For us, I hope this will help you feel the love of God in Christ Jesus for you. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Beloved, on the cross, the Lord did not have Jesus sit at His right hand. But he raised up his right hand against his Lord and struck him and crushed him. He unleashed all his enemies against him and gave them rule and reign over him to slap him and spit on him and beat him and hang him up like a piece of meat on the cross. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. God's people rejected the Messiah. God's people spit on the Messiah, cried out for Him to be crucified. He had no holy garments. They stripped Him naked and hung Him up there to bleed and die. He was killed in the time of His youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus was Himself the sacrifice. He was Himself the sacrifice on the cross. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of His wrath. Beloved, Jesus was shattered. He was the shattered king under the wrath of God on the cross. He will execute judgment among the nations. Jesus, Jesus had judgment executed on Him for the nations. Filling them with corpses. Jesus' corpse. His cold, dead Blood-empty corpse was taken down from that cross. He was the chief, the head that was shattered. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, He will lift up His head. Jesus cried out on the cross, I thirst. He was given no drink. His head was crushed. He was crushed and died and suffered. Jesus' enemies seemed to win at the cross. Jesus did not sit down at God's right hand when He was on the cross, but God's right hand struck His own Son and crushed His own Son. Jesus was not refreshed, but left languishing. He thirsted. His enemies prevailed. He was destroyed. But on the third day... (laughs) But on the third day... God raised Him up from the dead that all of this might be fulfilled in His Son, whom He always loved, whom He's always pleased with. Even when He was hanging there, God was pleased and loving His Son even as He crushed Him and raised Him up from the dead so that we might be saved. Jesus is our God and Lord. His teachings cannot be ignored. The great crowds heard Him and adored, Mark's Gospel tells us. Believe in Him. There's great reward. Jesus taught and would exclaim, How is the Christ the Son you claim? 
He's David's son, prophets proclaim. He's also more. He's God who came and conquered every scribe word game. He's son of God with greatest fame. He healed the sick and blind and lame, then died and bloody wore our blame, but rose alive to crush our shame, and we shall never be the same. May God set all our hearts aflame for the glory of His great name. Christ is the lion you can't tame. Our lives are short. They're not a game. To live for Him's our greatest aim. His praise eternal will proclaim. Is this Christ your all in all? He became this all for Saul, who wrote the words that Christ is all. And from all nations, he will call to save great sinners, big and small, and make them down before him fall to worship him as Lord of all. In the Spirit, David wrote God's word. If from God you wish you heard, take up the book and read, be stirred. If an audible you've preferred, read out loud. He won't be slurred. For our great Lord is never blurred. All His righteousness transferred. If by faith you'll trust His word. Blessings unknown shall be conferred. To turn from Him would be absurd. So trust the Son whom we've referred. He is the King who loves the word. He shut the mouths of all His foes. Over whom He'd cry His woes. On to that cross our Lord He goes, almighty powers to depose, and every secret heart expose. He died to save all those He chose, and from the grave He has arose. He every evil overthrows, in us His power only grows. He's our righteous, holy close. Take Him as yours and don't oppose, but trust Him gladly for repose, and rest in Him who all things knows. Christ Jesus finally ends all confrontation. They've tested and tried Him without cessation. Questions they've asked like Satan's temptation, yet He's been victorious in every situation. He always wins, so there's celebration. Now He leads the final interrogation, takes the will of this investigation to show they don't know the incarnation. He's David's son, but more elevation. He's David's Lord, the God-man revelation. He died on that cross as our propitiation and rose from the dead for our justification. They can't answer Him. He ends the conversation. There's no more questions. They should bow in prostration. By faith alone, there's no condemnation. He's our holy fascination who grants us salvation, so worship Him forever with deep admiration. Beloved, by the mercy of God, trust and obey and delight in Jesus Christ, the Son of David, as your Lord and your God. Father, we ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would enable us to do this. Father, we pray that we would not be like the scribes and Pharisees, that we would question uh, Jesus, uh, but that we would bow down and submit to who He is, that we would receive Jesus as both the Son of David, truly man, and the Son of God, truly God. We pray that we would all confess Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Lord, we pray that You would show us ways in our lives in which we are not now trusting and obeying Jesus Christ as Lord. Father, if there are secret sins, things we've never never told anybody, things going on in our lives that we're, we're, we're hiding and loving and cherishing sin, we ask God that You would expose those gently that You would help us bring them to the light, that we would confess our sins one to another, that we might be healed. We pray that more and more, Lord, You would help us to live like Jesus, You are Lord. And Lord, we pray we would be encouraged today that You are Lord.
that you are good, that you are loving, that you are sovereign, that you are in control of everything as, as the world worries about China and Taiwan and Russia and presidential elections and, and everything seems chaotic and as the world trembles, God remind us that Jesus is our Lord and King and He's seated in heaven ruling and reigning and laughs, yeah. laughs yeah. at the nations and rules and reigns. Help us trust Him and obey. We ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.